Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I'm Andrea Pagnosi, your host, and I am also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everyone in 2022 to realize their true career potential. Innovation, honesty, integrity, active listening, visioning, communication, confidence, empathy. Those are 10 words that at the time were not widely used in the same sentence as leaders. But they were 10 words that I heard loud and clear over a cup of coffee 20 some odd years ago with my manager when I asked him how I could become a leader of an organization. What were the qualities that companies were looking for? And these were qualities that he felt I had to practice, eventually master. And he had about 30 years of leadership on him at the time. And I'll never forget it. He said, some of these could be learned. Some of these could be acquired. Some of them I would wrestle with and struggle with. And some of them would end up being my superpowers. And there were never truer words. But he said, if you continue to hone these skills over time, you're going to become one hell of a leader. And he advocated for me and sent me through a program that changed the course, the whole trajectory of my career. And it was called ROCKS, R-O-C-S, Results-Oriented Coaching Skills. It was done by a company called Romar Learning Solutions. And it was the first foray for me into leadership. It was the first foray for me into coaching. And it was the first time I ever met our guest today. And it is a friendship that has endured two decades. Dave Davis, he has spent himself two decades in the pharmaceutical industry before he even pivoted to training and develop. And like myself, he had been in sales, he'd been in training, he'd been in leadership roles, and he wanted to give back. So he joined Romar as an employee and now is the owner and leader of this company. And that very same company does that very same program and has at three subsequent companies that I went on to work for. It is my pleasure to welcome Dave Davis to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. Dave, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to chatting with you, my friend. Been in this game a long time, my friend. <laughs> we have. We've been doing this a while. That's because we started when we were very young. Yes, I was 12. I, I, think I, was, about, I was around 10 or 12 when I started. All kidding aside, leadership is such an important component to coaching. And many right. of my clients are leaders in their own right or aspiring leaders. Let's get right into the nitty gritty from the get-go. What does leadership mean to you? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question, Andrea. And I think over the decades that, that we've been talking about this kind of stuff, it's my, my definition of what leadership really means to me has changed. It's evolved. Maybe that's a good way to say it. It's evolved. You know, initially, I would have said sort of the canned standard stuff. It's, you know, setting a vision and doing all that kind of stuff. And I st those things are absolutely critical parts to, vision, to, to leadership. But what I think leadership now is, 
is really, and let me, let me back up a little bit. I think leadership and management are two different things. And let, and let me break those down the way that I, I define them. And they're a little bit different, I think, than a lot of other folks do. I look as management is something you do with a person. I manage a person. I work with them. I coach them. I develop them, things like that. I lead a team. So when I think of leadership, I think of leading a group a bunch of people, right? And so that's my definition of, of management is something you do one-on-one. Leadership is what you do with a team. And so my view of what leadership now is, is that it's really inspiring that team to achieve a vision that you're trying to get them to. And I think that's what leadership is about. Now, there's a lot of elements that go into leadership. Communication's a critical piece. I think good vision setting and navigating, getting those folks focused on something, making sure they have the capabilities, the skills, knowledge, and behavior to get there. At a very high level, I think leadership is around inspiring a team to achieve an objective. I couldn't agree more. I think that leadership and true managing are two different things. And I'm glad that you pointed that out. When you and I were in the pharmaceutical industry, mm-hmm. it was typical that you would be a high performer as a salesperson and as a reward, <laughs> sort yeah. of that demotion promotion, right. they would give you a team to manage. Right. And you became a manager. And There wasn't a lot of preparation. Maybe you went into training for a stint, which I thought was a great way to motivate leaders of an organization and learn the ropes. But how did you become a leader in the companies that you were at? And and what types of training was there that has inspired you to create it today? So I, I guess, you know, my company, so I started out with Park Davis Pharmaceuticals, which was one of the original pharmaceutical companies in the business uh, back when, going back 100 years or so. And uh, PD actually had a pretty good management training program, getting people into it. I think they might have been a little bit ahead of the curve of that. I was uh, a young sales representative. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, that's where my territory was at. And And I got a call from the VP of sales uh, and he said, listen, we're putting together an emerging leaders program and we want you to see if you'd like to be a part of it. And uh, that's that was my so I actually had preparation for being uh, a leader before we got into it. I thought it was a pretty good program. Now, you know, it. You know, was it extensive? It, it probably could have been a little bit longer and deeper, but they sent me back to, you know, from Albuquerque back to Morris Plains, New Jersey for two weeks. And I went through new DM training, essentially. That was their emerging leaders program. Kind of the cool thing was at the end of that, they uh, they they offered me a, ter- a district up in Minnesota. And so I left from there back up to Minnesota. But, but we did kind of the standard stuff in it, Andrea. We did, you know, good coaching skills. We had a coaching program we went through that a company had developed. We did the recruiting selection and hiring, which is an important one. We did uh, some stuff around legal issues in employment, things to do and not do, get you in trouble as a young manager. And and then we did some, uh, so we, the, probably the most beneficial part of that whole training to me, Andrea, was we, they brought in two really experienced uh, district managers to kind of mentor us. And we got one-on-one time with them and we got some breakout sessions. One of those guys was a guy named John Wojciech, who later on went to be a, a vice president of Pfizer in their sales division. It was a, it was kind of a cool experience. So I had, I had pretty good training. Now, 
you know, were there some gaps? I think there were some gaps. One of the things that I that I think was the gaps is they they didn't do a lot around what's big in our industry now, and that is planning, you know, business planning and analytics. I think that's a big part of what we need folks to do these days in in especially in the sophisticated markets they work in now. And back then, there wasn't a lot of that kind of stuff. It was sort of, you know, get out there and go sell the drugs sort of thing. I think the evolution of the analytics themselves, that I can remember oh. recording calls in email format. And oh, yeah. with an Excel spreadsheet, <laughs> you know, it was a very rudimentary system. I, too, had a very good onboarding as a manager. I was at Procter & Gamble, and they had oh, good. similar yeah. to... Park Davis, a pretty formal developing future leaders campaign and all of that. But I'd say that my, that might have been our inspiration to go on and create other training for companies oh, as could be. in our yeah. careers. Because I, I would submit, and I think you would submit to our listeners, that that doesn't always exist places. Oh, um, absolutely not. I think that was those were the exception, especially back then. I think it was very much the exception. I think tragically, most leaders are just thrown into the water and ex expected to swim. They really yeah. are. I, I'm really passionate about this. I think if you have a development dollar to spend, you're much better off spending that on a first line leader than you are anywhere else in the company. And I would, I would argue very strongly that you're going to get a bigger ROI for spending your development dollars on first line leaders than you are on sales reps, on directors, VPs, even executives. Because those first line leaders, those, those district managers or regional sales managers, whatever term you use, they're the ones that make things happen. They are by far the troops on the ground, the commanders on the ground, I guess, if you will, the commanders on the ground that really make stuff happen. And they're often overlooked, I think, in training programs. Why do you think that is? I think it's it's two things. I think there's a there's this heavy focus on new hire training. You got to get them up to not you know speed on knowledge, skills, and behaviors. And then they it goes back to what you said earlier. These district managers were high performers, so they already know how to do it. And and they throw them into that job. So they figure, well, it's all about sales. So they're just high performers. They are they are to be able to teach that to the other people. And that's not what managing or leadership, to your point, really is. I absolutely agree with that. I think that most of the time they are very high performing individuals, but they've never really had an opportunity to mentor. And yep. Frankly, they go from being someone's peer one minute to being their manager. It's like tassel moving on the mortarboard at graduation. <laughs> it's about as insignificant as that. But to a peer that suddenly has to view you as the person who now knows how much you make, has a hand in your annual review. I'm going to take a lesson from this turkey. It's really, it's, it's a very cataclysmic change in certain organizations. One of the things that I'm noticing today in the wake of of organizational shift and the pandemic and all of that is that they've stopped promoting from within as much as they had been. And they're mm -hmm. hiring in for vacancies, people who don't have as much experience. Are you seeing that on your side as well? Yes and no. So I am seeing that folks are there. A lot of organizations are bringing in managers that are perhaps in, in, a, in a position before they're quite ready. The thing that I am seeing is, is a lot of organizations are bringing in 
the quote unquote experienced manager and, and assuming that that person is going to hit the ground and running. And I think it's a, that's a bad assumption to make. I think when you bring in an experienced manager from another organization into your organization, they need to learn your culture. They need to learn the way you do things at your organization. And they may bring some not so good things from their other organization. Like their other, let's say, take coaching. We're talking about coaching today. Let's say at the other organization, that manager, that organization didn't value coaching. Now you bring them into your organization and you guys really value coaching. They're not going to be doing it. And, you know, they just throw them out there and expect them to be ready to go. I think that just because you've hired somebody experienced doesn't mean they're ready to perform without some basic good onboarding and training. agree with that. Oftentimes when you come from an organization, you don't know why they've left that previous organization. They may be coming under duress, lots of baggage. They may need to deprogram themselves, have gotten yep. themselves into you know, a bit of bad habits or bad behaviors. Um, and it's not for you to ask those questions, really. Nobody's going to tell you that in an interview. Anyway. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I agree with you wholeheartedly. What I also find interesting is that there are people that utilize moving on to a different endeavor as an opportunity to take the leap into leadership because they weren't being promoted where they originally were working. Do Correct. you see that as a problem as yes, well? Yes, I do. And, and that's a good thing. I, I Absolutely. I, you know, it, maybe they're in a really small company and the chances of them getting a leadership position are, are, are rare because it's a small company. They just don't have the turnover or something like that. And, and, you know, so they move on to another company and they do get that chance to get into that leadership role. And that's, that's really cool. I, I, you know, it's funny you should say that. Andrew. I was just talking to someone this morning who uh, that's exactly what she's doing. She, she was in a very small company and she is interviewing now that's in a training department, but she's interviewing for a training department in a very large company. And that's going to be her chance to get into a management role in that training department. So of all cool. the things that have changed one of the things is a, having a talent pool or talent bench to be able to promote from within because there's been so much turnover. Yes. And managers have not been prepared for the fallout that has happened in the wake of this great resignation we find ourselves in. So oh, I, absolutely. I know that Romar has some great solutions, some learning solutions and strategies that you've implemented across multiple organizations. Tell us mm -hmm. how you approach it when a customer comes to you and says, hey, got some green managers, we want right. to train them up. You always, always like to ask a lot of questions to figure out what the organization has done with them so far, if they've done any training at all. And we like to get into what's the culture and what's it like to be a manager at that company? Because I think that's where you start that discussion. If I can figure out Almost every organization I've worked, I've worked with most of the pharmaceutical industry, almost every organization I've worked with has a different way that they approach how they want to work in the marketplace, how they want to play the game. And so I think it's really important that whatever kind of training program you bring for new managers needs to reflect the culture of that organization. We're going to company X and company X is very results focused and it's all about you know, driving results and hard charging, that training needs to fit that by. I read a study recently, and it was a study, I think it was by the Hay Group. Maybe it was DDI, actually, it might have been DDI. 
that said the number one reason why new hires that are good performers fail in their job is because it's a bad cultural fit. They don't, they don't fit the culture of the organization. It wasn't anything to do with their ability to do the job or anything like that. It was just, they weren't a good fit. They were, you know, just like I was saying, maybe the company was very results focused, but yet the company that, that they came to work for is very consultative focused. They want to look like they're just bringing value to a provider and it's not so much about getting this. So that's how we approach building a, a, a management development solution is to really first start trying to understand that culture. And then based on that, what are the, the competencies or vital tasks? I'm not a huge fan of competencies. I like vital tasks better. What are the critical vital tasks those managers need to do? And let's let's start there and, and get them what they need. That's a great strategy. And it's very pragmatic. You brought up a word a few times so far. And it's a word that I think a lot of people are struggling with right now, which is culture. Mm mitigating circumstances of turnover and employee satisfaction and some of the more social aspects of culture that have cropped up over recent years, diversity, equity, and inclusion just being one of them. What we're often tasked with as leaders is to cultivate that culture from within. Mm -hmm. Where is that disconnect? Because you just gave that great example of leaders that have a certain attribute and aren't fit for the specific culture moving into, is it lost in the interview process? Is it lost in the company not really knowing their culture? I think you nailed it right on the head on that last one right there, my friend. So if you were to take the classic definition of what's the culture of of an organization, if you were to ask an anthropologist, if you were to go out and say to an anthropologist, how do you define the culture of a group of people? And they'd say it's the beliefs, values, and practices of that group, right? So as beliefs are things that group feels are true, right? So they're givens, even when they're not true, right? But that group feels they're true. So that's beliefs, right? So if you believe the earth's flat, then that, that's a belief your group has. And that's it is whether it isn't or not. It, values are things they think are important, right? So what do you think are important? Could be like the example I gave where, you know, results is all that really matters. Or on the other one, it could be giving information. So that's so values. And then practices. If you were to stand and look at a group of people and watch them, you'd see groups that are that have a culture do certain things they do all the time, right? They're, thing, they're, they're routine practices. So I think most organizations don't know what those are. And, and, the, and the funny thing is, Andrea, as human beings, as homo sapiens, when we get together in a group, we create beliefs, values, and practice subconsciously, and they're there. And that's how anthropologists say, well, you know, this is one group, and here's another group, and that's a group. And so anytime we start to identify ourselves as being part of a group, we have beliefs, values, and practices. And to your point, I think every organization are to really know those. They are to really get to understand what those are. And they are to be proud of them, and, and, unless there's something really bad or something, then change it. But they are to be proud of them once they got them nailed down. And that's what they are to tell everybody. They are to just, you know, it are to be so evident that, hey, working at company X here, this is our beliefs, values, and practices. Do you want to join that? Do you want to be a part of the team? And and ideally, you'd, you'd get people that wanted to. And, and, and it's a huge win if you get people to self-select out and don't want to join. 
It's a huge benefit because you don't want to waste their time or yours. And it's money to onboard people. Oh, yeah. I I saw some ridiculous number the other day. It's like $300,000 to onboard a new, you know, that's taken into account benefits and pay and retraining and all that stuff. That's a lot of money, right? It is. It is. And then to have a vacancy besides. But you, you mentioned once you have the answers that you need and you understand the culture and a customer comes to you, what are some of the challenges these companies are faced with right now that Romar is building solutions for? The Probably the biggest challenge that I see companies uh, faced right now is just, and it's not any surprise, everybody who's listening to this podcast will probably know it, it's time. They just are, all of the managers have got so much stuff on their plate. You know, what's the little magic trick where the guy's got the little plate spinning on the end of a little stick, right? And he's mm-hmm. got to keep all the plates spinning and they're, you know, they start to fall and fall down. They got to keep them going. I think that's what managers are like these days. They're like the little magician guy that's trying to keep the plates spinning on the little sticks. It's uh, it's a lot of work. And so I think it's really important to boil a manager's job down to the five or six, what I call vital tasks. And let's help them get a lot better at doing them. And uh, that's, I'm a person that believes the simpler, the better. I, I don't want to make this a convoluted, complicated thing. Simpler is better. And that's one of the biggest things that I learned from your ROCKS program so many years ago. Nobody yep. was talking about coaching. Nobody mm-hmm. was talking about that vital task, which is such a huge component to motivating employees coaching for performance, allowing people to feel like they're included and committed to by the leaders and connecting with people. Rocks had a huge influence on me, that program. Tell me a little bit about that program, how it came to be, because it was was very new. Nobody talked about it. So how did you come up with that? I, I would love to take credit for Rocks, but I did not invent Rocks. Rocks was actually invented by the founder of our company, a guy named Rock. Lavelle, who sadly passed away uh, this summer. He retired and was was living the good life, but he's no longer with us, unfortunately. He started, he built the program, I want to say in 1986, the original version of Rock. His focus was always that Rocks was, was going to be a simple, practical way to develop someone that it wasn't, you know, Andrew, and I'm fun to say, I used to teach the eight step coaching program. I I was lost after step four. It was complicated, (laughs) right? And so so Rocky went out to build rocks as a, a simple, practical coaching. And over the years, the program just evolved. In fact, we formally on, on about every two or three years, take a look at rocks and update it with, uh, and it has evolved as time. If you looked at the original version and the one now, there's a few things that get pulled through that are kind of constant in it. Like the thing around expectations is always there. Like motivation is new in there. It's, it's evolved over the years. So to, to give you a sense of that simplicity, Andrew, Rocks is really boils down to three critical things. We think at Romark, manager asks themselves this, these three questions whenever they need to coach somebody. The first question is, that, does that person I'm coaching know what is expected of the vital task they're doing? If they don't know what is expected, if I haven't communicated and aligned with them on what good looks and sounds like for the vital tasks that they need to do in their job, then that's step one to coaching. Next question is, do do they have the skills and knowledge and behaviors to do what is expected? 
And if the answer to that is no, then you're going to train them. You're going to provide good development. You're going to teach them the skills. You're going to teach them the knowledge. And you're going to show them the right behaviors to help them fulfill that expectation for that vital task. And then the final question is, are they motivated to do what is expected? Do they want to do it? Um, There's a lot of folks who know what good looks and sounds like. They have the skills, knowledge, and behavior to do it. They don't want to for a lot of reasons. And it's not that they're necessarily a bad employee, that it could be your top employee just isn't motivated for a certain vital task that they need to do. And that's what coaching is. You help them get motivated. And so rocks is around teaching people how to do those three questions really well as a manager. It's not even more complicated than that. It's pretty straightforward. And of course, there's parts around about giving good positive feedback and constructive feedback and all that stuff. built into it. But at the end of the day, ROCKS is really those three questions. I also know, having been a ROCKS graduate, although those many years ago, it permeated not just the way I led teams, but it permeated the way I coach people today. So I thank you for that. It was a fantastic gift to be a part of that. In the beginning of this podcast, I talked about 10 words that I had over a cup of coffee with an influential mentor of mine who happened to be my manager, who also has sadly since passed away. And he mentioned these 10 words, some of which we use habitually today, active listening. Nobody talked about that back then, Um, but he was a lot of foresight. I am a big reader of blogs. I read everything I get my hands on. I I listen to a lot of podcasts, a blog that you wrote at the end of last year, uh-huh. really stuck out to me because it added a different word uh-huh. to leadership. And you called the blog the most important leadership competency. Mm-hmm. And you used the word judgment. Tell me about that. Why is that? So I, am, uh, I am super jazzed about that, Andrea. That is, I've been in this management development space and been a leader for, for quite a while now. And um, being Scout Mindset by Julia Gallif, I think is how you say her last name. I apologize if I'm not saying her name right. But it was it was scout mindset. And it was like this giant light bulb went on over my head. And, you know, for years have wanted to build some training around how do you teach managers good judgment? The light bulb went off when I read her book and it sort of said, that's it. It's this idea around scout mindset. And so if you are a, a manager and you've got good judgment, if you make good decisions, which is kind of a basic thing about being a manager, if you're good at that, a lot of the other stuff's going to fall into place. If you make good decisions, you'll hire good people. If you make good decisions, you'll tell them, you know, you'll put a point them in the right direction to get what they need to do. If you make good decisions, you'll, you won't do dumb things. If you make good decisions, you'll go after the business. Really, I think that if, if I, if I could change one thing in, in the way managers approach their job now, it would be for them to focus on developing good judgment. I think that is the most important competency a, a leader can have. Right? It's omnipotent to everything else they do. They hire, they've got to have good judgment and who they bring into an organization. They, all the three aspects that you just mentioned, 
Do they understand expectations? If you use good judgment in how you communicate, you're succinct, you're clear, you have the right message, it all translates. If If you do good judgment with business planning, you're going to go to the right places, you're going to do the right things, right? Good judgment hides a lot of sins that you may not have in other things, right? Absolutely. And if you've got a team who needs skills, which was the second thing, you Mm -hmm. are able to discern a good skill from a poor skill or see ahead to the skills they need to have to be successful in certain market conditions. That's it. And then the third thing that you mentioned, which is motivation, seeing when people, and I think that this is really critical because I have a lot of leaders I've coached that have said, if I'd only had the foresight, that person wouldn't have left, which was so paralyzing for some of these managers. I lost some of my best people and I didn't have the foresight. I couldn't keep them motivated. Mm -hmm. That could come from judgment. Could it It not? Yeah. Having good judgment, you know, it, it gives you a lot of tools that you can use in a lot of places. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's huge. They so use- I'll, I'll, I'll give your listeners the big secret. You want me to tell them the big secret? They can't, tell anybody, else. They, they can't tell anybody else this. Okay. Right? She, she has this in her book. She has this great approach for having good judgment. She says, all you got to do is three things. Be open. Right? In other words, when you're looking at a situation, be open to all the different approaches. Don't be, don't be so opinionated or so polarized that you're not open. You, you may have the initial wrong. So she says, start, start out by being open. Second, be curious. Really try and understand in depth and look at when you got a problem or an issue or a challenge, or you're trying to figure something out, be curious, try and learn more about it. Or if you're in thrust into things, so be curious. And then last but not least, be grounded. Don't do goofy things. Be focused and grounded and be practical. And so she says, good judgment starts with those three things. Be open, be curious, be grounded. That's what people who have good judgment do. They don't get too crazy on one way or the other. That's being grounded. They're very curious. They try and find out and they're open. Good place to start when you're learning how to get good judgment. What's the focus for Romar Learning in 2022? It's a focus that I had not thought we were going to go there, but it's super popular right now is amongst our clients. Um, we have for a long time had a really good, what I call business acumen and planning content. We had some really good stuff around how to teach managers to, first of all, what is good business acumen? What does that mean? And then how to create a good business plan that's practical, that that's dynamic, that's living, that that's not that, you know, sit on a shelf kind of a business plan. That's a big process we're doing. We have a couple of companies where we're doing some pretty good sized projects where around business acumen and planning. Rocks continues to be a big part of what we're doing. We, we still do a lot of coaching skills training and Rocks is like our good old friend, always around and doing well for us. And probably the third thing we've been doing a lot is helping trainers learn how to be better trainers. That's a thing we like doing. But but our big focus right now is business acumen and planning, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I think as companies are starting to reemerge and resurface and they're feeling like they're on a much more even keel than they've been on for the last few years, starting to see people talk about career pathing again and talk about right. talent pools and talk about expansion and investing in data and analytics. So it's very timely that you're you're focused on that. And I do thank you for sharing about rocks because 
it is tried and true. And as I said, it deeply influenced me. And I do find that coaching is a critical aspect to leading people. So thank you for sharing that. What's the easiest way for people to get in touch with you who have leaders that would like to learn more and invest in themselves? We have on our website, which is, uh, you know, just Google Romar Learning Solutions and and uh, www.romarlearning.com. Go there and just fill out an information card. And we're really good about getting right back in touch with. Also on that site, a lot of stuff about what we do and some, some examples of some of our content and programs. I know you don't just work in the pharmaceutical industry, so I want to make sure people know that. Our sweet spot is we teach what I would call blocking and tackling for managers. So our ideal client is somebody who wants to, I guess I, I would say two things. One is they have managers that they want to develop to a higher level of performance. And we teach the fundamentals of management. And then secondly, is anybody who has an emerging leader program, right? So if they're trying to, to develop people to be managers in the future, that's, uh, that's probably, we have a lot of stuff that we could help them with. I'm so glad that we had opportunity to connect. Really highly recommend Romar Learning Solutions for those two perfect examples of how to bring in talent to your organization and build them up as great managers and great leaders of organizations. This is the company you want to partner with. I want to thank Dave Davis for joining today. I want to thank all of you out there. We will connect with you next week, same time, same place, more power.